This is a Flashbooks audio summary on The War of Art. Break through the blocks and win your inner creative battles by Stephen Pressfield. Big idea number one. Are you a victim of resistance? Stephen Pressfield, the author of the book, tells us that most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. Between the two stands resistance. Have you ever had a dream that you wanted to pursue, but didn't? Have you ever had a great idea with lots of potential, but failed to take action on making it happen? Have you ever started a new gym routine, a diet, a project, a program of any kind, but failed to follow through on it? If yes, if you answered yes to any of the above questions, then you're in the same boat as everybody else, suffering from what Pressfield refers to as resistance. All of us have been there. Resistance is that thing that occurs when we try to break away from something old, like a bad habit or a crappy career, in search of something new and something better. Here's a couple examples. Maybe you want to start that business, but resistance whispers in your ear, telling you that you're not good enough to succeed. You want to write that book, but resistance tells you that no one will want to read it. You want to go up to that girl or guy and introduce yourself, but resistance says you'll get rejected. Resistance is that voice that says, I can always start my new diet tomorrow, but for now, let's have one last slice of pizza. Anything that requires any amount of willpower, discipline, or fear-facing is a threat to resistance. And resistance, of course, doesn't like that very much. Resistance is hesitation. Resistance is procrastination. Resistance is the very thing that prevents us from doing what we were meant to do more than anything else. Resistance, by the way, isn't personal either. It doesn't play favorites, and it has the power to hinder us completely from living the fulfilling life that we desire and deserve, but only if we allow it to. Even the best and most experienced among us feel resistance on a regular basis. For example, Pressfield, the author of the book, writes about how actor-slash-entertainer Henry Fonda would throw up prior to every performance— every single performance. And Fonda's been on stage several hundred times. Did resistance stop him? I don't think so. He battled with resistance prior to every single one of his shows, and he won every battle with resistance by accepting the fact that it was a natural occurrence for anyone doing anything that they care deeply for. So up until this point, you've probably made some observations about resistance. Resistance equals hesitation, it equals procrastination, and worst of all, it equals fear. All of these adequately describe the various forms of resistance. So how do we crush it? How do we crush resistance? By keeping the following three things in mind. First, you want to make sure you define your dreams. Whatever you want to do most in life, define those things. Next, stay committed to your craft, to whatever it is that you've defined that you want, your dreams, whatever work you want to do. Thirdly, accept the fact 
that resistance is something you're going to have to live with. You're going to have to deal with it. And the best way to prevent it from paralyzing you is to face it, feel it, and take action in spite of it. Big idea number two. Resistance is proportional to love. Quote, resistance is directly proportional to love. If you're feeling massive resistance, the good news is it means there's tremendous love there too. If you didn't love the project that is terrifying you, you wouldn't feel anything. The opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. Unquote. You want to know the best part about resistance? There's a very simple rule of thumb to keep in mind about it. The more important a call or action is to our soul's evolution, the more resistance we feel toward pursuing it. In other words, if quitting your job to start a new business, doing what you love, is super important to you, then you can bet you'll be feeling some super high resistance about doing it. So the key idea is this. Resistance is a signal to get moving towards whatever it is that you're feeling fearful about or apprehensive about. The less you want to do it, the more important it is to actually pull up your socks and start taking action towards it, whatever it may mean to you, whether that's a business, different work, an art form of some kind, a sport maybe, whatever it is, whatever it may mean to you. If you're fearing it, the less you want to do it, the more important it is to actually do it. The more scared we are of a work or calling, the more we can be sure that we absolutely have to take action. Big idea number three, choose your way of life, or someone else might choose it for you. The paradox seems to be, as Socrates demonstrated so long ago, that the truly free individual is free only to the extent of his own self-mastery, while those who will not govern themselves are condemned to find masters to govern over them. So, do you hate your boss? Do you hate your job? The way you've chosen to live your life? Good, because if you've chosen the way your life's turned out up until now, you can choose to change it too. If things aren't as dandy as they should be for you, Decide to do something about it right now. You don't have to give your boss the finger or anything. Just make yourself aware of the fact that you are in charge of your choices. Don't like your situation? Choose to change it now, not tomorrow. Do something, anything, to get you going in the right direction. Write the first page. Call the first client. Design your first business plan. You are the master of your destiny. Big idea number four. Resistance and happiness. Quote, As artists and professionals, it is our obligation to enact our own internal revolution, a private insurrection inside our own skulls. In this uprising, we free ourselves from the tyranny of consumer culture. We overthrow the programming of advertising, movies, video games, magazines, TV, and MTV by which we have been hypnotized from the cradle. We unplug ourselves from the grid by recognizing that we will never cure our restlessness by contributing our disposable income to the bottom line of bullshit ink, but only by doing our work. End quote. So translation there, 
Too many folks still believe that consumerism contributes to happiness. They believe that by buying a bigger house, a better car, or the latest gadgets are going to bring them the happiness that they want. And although these things are great to have and even contribute to small spikes of emotional well-being, they don't contribute to lifelong fulfillment, long-term fulfillment. But here's what does. Our health, the social and emotional connections we develop with other people, our values, our purpose, and the sense of meaning we give to our lives and level of contribution, and of course, our work. The joy we feel from sitting down and doing the work we have before us, day after day after day, that right there can be the difference between living fully versus living on empty. Big idea number five, on criticism. As you pursue your calling, resistance can come in the form of criticism and self-doubt. In this vein, Pressfield notes, quote, the critic hates most that which he would have done himself if he had the guts to do so, unquote. In other words, those that have realized their authentic selves rarely take the time to criticize other people. If you find that others are criticizing you, then they're almost always doing it out of resistance. And if you find yourself criticizing others, the same applies to you. Big idea number six on self-doubt. Quote, the counterfeit innovator is wildly self-confident. The real one is scared to death. Unquote. If you find yourself asking yourself, am I really a writer? Am I really an artist? Am I really insert passion here? The big idea here is that chances are, it's very likely that you are. If you're questioning yourself, if you're afraid, if you are fearful of whatever it is that you're doing, then chances are that you are really whatever it is that you're afraid of most, that you're questioning most. Big idea number seven. You don't always need time for quote-unquote healing. What you might really need instead is your work. Sometimes we convince ourselves that we need to set aside some time for rest and renewal before getting to our work. We rationalize that we need time to heal before we can actually get some work done. This, of course, is another form of what Pressfield refers to as the dreaded resistance. Pressfield describes here a story recalling his younger days as a depressed New York cab driver. I was washed up, making 20 bucks a night driving a cab and running away full-time from doing my work. One night, alone in my $110 a month sublet, I hit bottom in terms of having diverted myself into so many phony channels so many times that I couldn't rationalize it for one more evening. I dragged out my ancient Smith Corona, dreading the experience as pointless, fruitless, meaningless. For two hours, I made myself sit there, torturing out some trash that I chucked immediately into the shit can. That was enough. I put the machine away. I went back to the kitchen. In the sink sat 10 days of dishes. For some reason, I had enough excess energy that I decided to wash them. 
Then a pile of clean plates began rising in the drying rack. To my amazement, I realized I was whistling. It hit me right then and there that I had turned a new corner. I was okay. I would be okay from here on. Unquote. Sometimes it's our work that provides us with all the energy and all the inspiration we need to lead the lives we want to lead. There's a time for healing too, but be mindful not to use healing or resting or break time as an excuse that's synonymous with resistance when all you really needed to do was get yourself to get up and get started with your work. Big idea number eight, turn pro. Quote, to the amateur, the game is his avocation. To the pro, it's his vocation. Unquote. Want to know the best possible way to fight resistance? Turn pro. Become a professional. To clarify, by the way, when we say professional, we're not referring to the professions or becoming a professional by name, i.e. a doctor, a lawyer, author, But what we mean by that is to become a professional as an ideal. There's a huge difference between turning pro in contrast to remaining an amateur. Amateurs play for fun. Pros play for keeps. Amateurs play part-time. Pros play full-time. Amateurs are weekend warriors. Pros are there every day of the week. Turning pro means treating your dream job like it's your only job, even if it isn't yet. Be in love with it so much that you're willing to dedicate your life to it. Commit full-time. Someone once asked the famous author, Somerset Maugham, whether he maintained a daily writing schedule for his prose. His reply? Quote, I only write when inspiration strikes. Fortunately for me, it strikes every morning at 9 a.m. sharp. Unquote. Professionals don't wait for inspiration to strike. Instead, what they do is they bring it about on their own by developing the habit of consistency. The consistency to continue cranking out whatever it is that they need to be cranking out and to wake up the next day and once again give it all the grit they've got. Why work so hard? because that's what professionals do. Pros work hard day after day because they love to, they need to, and they want to. Big idea number nine, be dedicated to mastery. Did you know that Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer in the world, actually looks to someone else for golf advice? Yep. Like all true professionals, Tiger's got a coach, a coach he turns to for advice and constructive criticism and feedback when he needs it. And he does this because he knows that even though he's the best, he can always get better. He's also aware that though he may be the best today, it may not be that way tomorrow, at least not if he doesn't continue to improve upon his craft. So he gets great coaching to keep him sharp. This is a person who's dedicated 
to mastery, constant improvement. And you should do the same thing Tiger does. Always be learning. Always be sharpening your skills. And never let your ego prevent you from getting advice from someone smarter. Big idea number 10. The most important thing is that you sit down and work. Quote, nothing else matters except sitting down every day and trying. Why is this so important? Because when we sit down day after day and keep grinding, something mysterious starts to happen. The process is set into motion by which, inevitably and infallibly, heaven comes to our aid. Unforeseen forces enlist in our cause. Serendipity reinforces our purpose. End quote. Over and over again in the book, the author reminds us of the powerful forces that come to our aid when we sit down and decide to dedicate ourselves to our craft. Here's what Pressfield has to say about that feeling you get when you finish something you really care about and also worked really hard on. Quote, I remember rolling the last page out and adding it to the stack that was the finished manuscript. Nobody knew I was done. Nobody cared. But I knew. I felt like a dragon I've been fighting all my life had just dropped dead at my feet and gasped out its last sulfuric breath. Rest in peace, motherfucker. The next morning, Pressfield went over to his friend Paul's house to tell him that he'd finally finished his book. You know what his friend said? Good for you. Start the next one today. Big idea number 11. There's magic in making a start. Quote, Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would not otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance which no man would have dreamed would come his way. Whatever you can do, or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, magic, and power in it. Begin it now. Unquote. Just as there exists a negative force of power and resistance, there's also an opposite and equally powerful positive force known as your muse. Your muse is an energy of sorts, even a madness, as Plato once put it, that's there to inspire creativity and ideas that can help you take your work to the next level. How do you tap into your muse? Begin your work and be as dedicated to it as possible. And we'll discuss just how to do that in the next big idea. Big idea number 12. Get organized. Naturally, the magic in making a start should be followed up by the magic of keeping yourself going. And in order to do that, we've got to focus on organizing our thoughts and ideas appropriately. We need to set goals without being attached to the outcome. We need to focus on the process without letting difficulties derail us from our purpose. There's a necessary duality between organization and chaos. 
As the author points out so elegantly, quote, the principle of organization is built into nature. Chaos itself is self-organizing. Out of primordial disorder, stars find their orbits, rivers make their way to the sea. When we, like God, set out to create a universe, a book, an opera, a new business venture, the same principle kicks in. When a writer sits down to start writing a book, he'll naturally run into resistance. He suppresses it by developing the habit of consistency, the discipline to get behind the keyboard on a daily basis, no matter how much his inner voice tells him to skip a day, to do it later, or to otherwise wait for inspiration to strike. The writer understands that inspiration never strikes. He strikes on inspiration. He knows that resistance is here to stay, and he tames it by way of organized effort and ruthless work ethic. Here's an actionable insight for you from this big idea. Now that you know resistance isn't going to go anywhere, truth be told, it could get even worse over time, the way to get ahead of it is to get organized, get disciplined, and develop the habit of consistently focusing on producing your work. Big idea number 13, focus on the process. And remember to be patient. Turning pro requires organization, patience, and the ability to steadily focus on a process that produces reliable progress. Author John Updike's process did just that, helping him progressively produce enough pieces of writing to help him become one of only three authors ever to win the Pulitzer Prize for fiction more than once. Updike wrote every single day. He relied on his process. He paced himself evenly, working three to four hours a day, every day, right after breakfast. He also avoided setting unrealistic goals, like trying to write an entire book over the weekend, for example. So in this way, he had a process for writing. Additionally, though, an equally important contributor to all of his literary success was his ability to focus on the actual process itself, aka the book he was writing, rather than focusing only on the outcome, that is, finishing the book itself. So rather than trying to achieve the goal of finishing a manuscript in the shortest possible time frame, he focused on writing the book, on that specific project, and enjoying that process of writing the book. An actionable insight from this big idea? You should do the same thing. While you're working, be sure to engage yourself in process thinking, that is, the work itself, rather than outcome thinking, which is finishing your work. Big idea number 14. Use problems as fuel. Back in the early 1980s, when TV was dominated by talk shows like Sally Jesse Raphael and Maury and Ricky Lake and, of course, Jerry Springer, many of which were predicated on exploiting their guests in exchange for a cheap and embarrassing way to entertain their viewers, most Americans could hardly expect much more out of the average mid-morning talk show. But then, a heavyset black woman named Oprah came along. Most people wrote her off. 
saying she'd never gained the viewership she needed to successfully sustain a daytime talk show. Plus, she didn't even want to exploit her guests for cheap laughs. She wanted to connect instead. She wanted to empathize. Most people thought that kind of stuff was just bad for ratings. But boy, oh boy, were they off the mark. Even though she experienced tons and tons of criticism and all sorts of other problems early on, Oprah stuck to her guns and stayed true to herself and her vision, which resulted in The Oprah Winfrey Show becoming the single most successful daytime talk show the United States and perhaps the entire world has ever seen. Rather than backing down when problems presented themselves, Oprah like every true professional, used her problems to fuel her work ethic and motivation to succeed. Moving onward, even after becoming a household name, not to mention one of the most influential figures in the world. An actionable insight from this big idea? Project yourself in the future for a moment. Imagine that you're doing the work that you feel like you were meant to do. You're going along, and one day, just when you think you've got a handle on your work, you're doing it, you're in flow, you've handled all the problems that you thought you'd ever run into, you think you've handled all your biggest challenges, all of a sudden, bam, seemingly out of nowhere, a massive problem the size of a full-speed freight train hits you head-on. What do you do? Do you quit? Or do you do what you already know you need to do? which is deal with it. Inevitably, at some point in your journey, you'll run into problems. Make like Oprah and perceive them as nothing more than challenges that'll contribute to your overall growth and prosperity. Big idea number 15, hierarchies versus territories. In the animal kingdom, there are two ways in which individuals tend to define themselves by how they rank within a hierarchy, such as say, a hen in a pecking order or a wolf in a pack, or by their connection to a territory, like a home base or a home court, a hunting ground or turf, wherever they're comfortable basically operating within. Hierarchies and territories are important because they provide us, both humans as well as animals, with psychological security. They help us maintain order and a certain degree of organization. They help us understand our place and where we stand in the world. But there's a sharp distinction between these two paradigms, the hierarchy versus the territory. Most people naturally tend to lean towards the hierarchy paradigm. This is because it's easier for us to slip into when we're growing up. For example, the popular kids knew where they stood on the hierarchy, and the geeky kids knew where they stood, too. Eventually, as we grow into adulthood, most of us allow the hierarchy to remain in place, only in a different way. Buy this beer, get this job, drive this car, and everyone will love you. We allow social hierarchies to place a ceiling on how much we earn and how high we climb. Corporations are hierarchies. Governments are hierarchies, too. High school, that was the ultimate hierarchy. But hierarchies have proven themselves ineffective for the individual seeking to live a more fulfilling life. Someone who wants to do work that matters to him or her. 
especially when an individual is displaced within a really large group of people, say several hundred or thousands or more, because things can really get abstracted. We can lose our sense of individuality and its relation to the whole in the grander group or scheme or social order. Ultimately, says Pressfield, for the artist to define himself hierarchically is fatal. Here's why. Someone who defines himself by his place in a pecking order will, number one, compete against all others in the order, seeking to elevate his situation by advancing against those above him while defending his place against those beneath him. Number two, will evaluate his happiness and success and achievement by his rank within the hierarchy, feeling most satisfied when he's high and most miserable when he's low. Number three, will act toward others based upon their rank in the hierarchy as well, to the exclusion of all other factors. Number four, will evaluate his every move solely by the effect it produces on other people. He will act for others, dress for others, speak for others, and think for others. Bottom line, hierarchies stifle creativity. And for most of us, it's best to abandon the hierarchy paradigm and replace it with a territorial one instead, which is exactly what you're about to learn about in the next big idea. Big idea number 16, claim your territory. Territorial thinking is about doing work for its own sake. It's about doing what you do because you really enjoy doing it. And being paid lots of money for it is a byproduct of your work, as opposed to the end goal of your work. It's also about the environment you feel most powerful or creative or motivated to work within. Here's how the author puts it. Quote, Stevie Wonder's territory is the piano. Arnold Schwarzenegger's is the gym. When Bill Gates pulls into the parking lot at Microsoft, he's on his territory. And when the author, Stephen Pressfield, sits down to write, he's on his territory. So, have you thought about your territory? What is it? Where is it? Here are the qualities of a territory, as outlined in the book. The first quality of a territory is that it provides sustenance. Runners know what a territory is. So do rock climbers and kayakers and yogis and artists and entrepreneurs. The swimmer who towels off after finishing her laps feels a hell of a lot better than the tired, cranky person who dove into the pool 30 minutes earlier. Quality number two, a territory sustains us without any external output. A territory is a closed feedback loop. Our role is to put in effort and love. The territory absorbs this and gives it back to us in the form of well-being. When experts tell us, for instance, that exercise or any other effort requiring activity banishes depression, this is what they mean. Quality number three, a territory can only be claimed alone. You can team with a partner, you can work out with a friend, but you only need yourself to soak up your territory's juice. Quality number four, a territory can only be claimed by work. When Arnold hits the gym, he's on his own turf. But what made it his own are the hours, the years of sweat equity he put in to claim it. 
The territory doesn't give. The territory gives back. Quality number five. A territory returns exactly what you put in. Territories are fair. Every bit of energy you put in goes infallibly into your account. The territory never devalues. A territory never crashes. What you deposited, you get back, dollar for dollar. So, what's your territory? The big question. Well, your territory is your calling. It's your gym, your playground, your notebook, your microphone. It's that place you know you need to be in order to do your best work. If you don't know it, figure it out. If you figured it out, then claim it. Not just once, but every single day. Closing notes. Quote, Are you a born writer? Were you put on earth to be a painter, a scientist, an apostle of peace? In the end, the question can only be answered by action. Do it or don't do it. It may help to think of it this way. If you are meant to cure cancer or write a symphony or crack cold fusion and you don't do it, you not only hurt yourself, even destroy yourself, you hurt your children, you hurt me, you hurt the planet, you shame the angels who watch over you and you spite the Almighty who created you and only you with your unique gifts for the sole purpose of nudging the human race one millimeter farther along its path back to God. Creative work is not a selfish act or a bid for attention on the part of the actor. It's a gift. It's a gift to the world and every being in it. Don't cheat us of your contribution. Give us what you've got. Unquote. Here's what it comes down to in the end. Doesn't matter whether your goals are entrepreneurial or whether they're artistic. If you want to tap into the highest version of yourself, then you need to feel the fear and do your work in spite of it. Figure out whatever territory you operate best within, whether that's a stage or an office or an Olympic swimming pool, doesn't matter. Totally up to you. It's just important that you figure it out. Because if we want to live the happiest, most creative, and most inspiring lives that we're capable of living, then we have got to tap into our highest point of contribution. And in order to do that, in order to tap into the best part of ourselves, we've got to push past resistance. We've got to become dedicated professionals. We've got to turn pro and show up every single day, ready and willing to do our work. Thank you for listening to this Flashbooks audio summary on The War of Art. Break through the blocks and win your inner creative battles by Stephen Pressfield. Narrated by Dean Bakari. 